Hello! Hey! Welcome back to another episode of Beaker Bros. I am Sonia. And I'm Januni. Januni, it has been too long. It's been too long. It's been too long. I don't know the last time we actually made an episode. The last one that we posted was... It was not even done by us. It was done by our research coordinators. And then a podcast that we probably recorded and released was back in February. Um, little... No, wait. The ones that I did, like, even the last ones, those were with, um, like, the guest hosts, Caitlin. Yeah, and... yeah. So it's Mom. been a while since we've done a podcast together. Hey. Hey, man. How's it going? Little updates, life updates. Let's, uh, quick one-minute spiel. Go. Um, still in grad school. Woohoo. Work is going well with that. Love it. Um, life is good. Great. Going to a couple concerts in a couple weeks. That's okay. exciting. Okay. Things are moving. That's about it. Love yeah. it. Um, oh, went on exchange, came back. Yeah. Uh, graduated from my master's. Right on. Graduation is in two weeks. Heck yeah. And I'm working You right should now. vlog that. My graduation? Yeah. Hi guys, welcome to my graduation. Sorry, I forgot to record. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But we're back. We're better. We got a new mic. I don't know if you can see the mic in the camera. Yeah, it's visible. Okay. You can see it in the little screen. I don't know if you can see it from your end. Perfect. I can't. It's okay. I'm just blind, but that's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Um, but yeah, we're trying to do something new. I mean, we've done recordings on camera before and whatnot, but... This time we, we have some sort of setup. Oh, big things are also coming. Potentially. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. We may have funding to have like a proper setup going on and... Maybe. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe we might crop this part out if <laughs> things don't work out. We'll see. We'll see. Anyways, um, back to the real reason we're here today. Uh-huh. It's on a special episode. We say that about every single episode, but another special episode. This is a good episode. Even more so <laughs> than the other episodes. <laughs> like we say every single time. But it just gets better and better. Do you want to introduce it? Sure. Um, so, given the state of the world right now, as if it's not always in constant flux, but perhaps more so now, given at least in the news and everything going on, there's a lot, uh, there's been a lot of information being shared about refugee, refugee health, and how, um, some of the implications of that, how that's gonna, uh, affect Canadian society, but also globally, mm -hmm. how, uh, the influx of refugees from different nations all around the world is gonna affect different populations, but also particularly on a health level. So, given all of that, we decided, hey, let's talk about refugee health today. Thank you for that introduction, Sonia. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Anyways, uh, before we start like, diving into like refugee health and just kind of various reasons for a displacement, the physical challenges, mental health challenges, barriers to access, what, whatever, whatnot, um, I just want to go through a legal definition of what a refugee is. And this one's based on the 1951 Refugee Convention and its 1967 protocol. So refugee, 
I'm just quoting for verbatim, is a person who has been forced to flee their country of origin due to a well-founded fear of persecution, conflict, violence, or other circumstances that have seriously disturbed public order and who, as a result, is unable or unwilling to return to their country of origin. Out of curiosity, so Januni being the global health um, graduate almost at this point, how what, what was the, the focus on refugee health in your program? Um, actually, coincidentally, I realized this yesterday when I was doing, like, research for this and whatnot, is that, so we had a global health symposium. Yeah. That was part of our program, where essentially students from all around, not all around the world, but students from the partner universities, which were, like, India, uh, Colombia, the Netherlands, um, did I miss any? But Canada, of course. I think there's, I'm missing one more. I think Thailand. And then we all essentially went to India, or virtually. And we participated in a global health symposium, and the focus, at least in my group, for my project, was refugee health. Mm-hmm. And we looked at, if I'm not mistaken, um, two different countries and just the policies, and we created a systems map based on that. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so that was kind of the focus. It also depended, like, other groups had more environmental health, but there was, of the three focuses that we had, um, refugee health was one of them. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that was a really cool project. Um, looking at different countries and their different policies and seeing how it was affected in different terms of like the government levels and like some countries had more of a provincial like predominance while other uh, ones had more like a federal level predominance for that what do you what do you mean like some school not some schools what am i saying some countries they just had more um resources and support for refugee health uh-huh. from like a local impact right gotcha and others more federal okay so the b- level of support yeah. i see is yeah. d- varies between different yes like levels or yeah. like there's a difference in emphasis based on the countries gotcha if that makes sense and, yeah. the, and the respective levels of government so whether yeah. it be local okay gotcha yeah, yeah. So there's also a number, you sort of talked about this already, but there you said that there are a number of reasons for displacement. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk a little bit about what those reasons could look like? Yeah, for sure. So obviously there's various reasons for displacement that lead to the refugee status. One being conflict, as we may know, like armed conflicts, civil wars, other forms of political violence that can force people to flee their homes and seek refugee elsewhere. For example, the ongoing conflict in Syria has led to the displacement of millions of people. Mm-hmm. We obviously had persecution, so people may be persecuted for their race, religion, nationality, political opinion, or a membership in a particular social group. This persecution can take many forms, such as torture, imprisonment, other forms of violence. Um, additionally, there's also natural disasters. So natural disasters such as earthquakes, floods, hurricanes, can displace people from their homes and force them to seek refugee elsewhere, of course. And then lastly, we have environmental factors. So climate change, deforestation, and other environmental factors can also lead to displacement. For example, um, rising sea levels and uh, desertification can make certain areas not uh, livable, which force the people, individuals, to move elsewhere. Gotcha. Um, But it's important to note, for sure, that these reasons are not mutually exclusive, right? So people may be displaced for a combination of these factors. Could be both a combination of political, economic, social, whatnot, because obviously this is very, um, displacement is very complex and multifaceted. 
Gotcha. I appreciate how you spoke about the environmental component, because um, I was trying to find stats on this, but mm. wasn't able, able to in the moment. But environmental, uh, or what am I trying to say? The environmental, imp or the implications of climate change on refugees and refugee health, I think that's expected to be like the biggest contributor or amongst the biggest contributors to causing the refugee crisis in the future. Like, oh, right now, yeah. right now it's, like, a leading contributor as well, but its effect is expected to multiply within the next, like, couple of decades because of how bad climate change is getting. It is interesting. I wouldn't think... Like, I wouldn't make that connection. Thing is, like, refu or envir the environment and environmental health can correlate to so many issues surrounding like the perpetuating the refugee crisis so it's not just climate change necessarily like natural disasters happening it's the ramifications of it right so, like mm. leading to malnutrition and deforestation and people losing their homes and blah, displacement and well, like so many other things right no, for sure i found one stat that says um approximately 25 million people across 140 countries were displaced in 2019 so not that recent in retrospect, mm -hmm. um, but it was due to weather-related events. So in 2020, global temperatures reached new records highs, and the year was marked by dozens of fires, floods, and intense storms. Mm -hmm. um, so that's just kind of putting things into perspective of, like, in terms of numbers for it. Yeah, and even, I'm thinking back to an episode that, um, you weren't a part of this episode. This was an episode that I did for a class, and it had these two other students in it, Jack and... I forgot the name of the other guy, but it was on, um, sorry guy. Yeah. It was on, uh, the Afghanistan and the water crisis in Afghanistan. And it spoke about how like more than 90% of the country didn't have access to running water and clean water. So like, that's just an example of how granted a lot of the, the like the main reason why the water access was limited was because of the Taliban and their restriction of different water sources mm -hmm. around the country. But that's still an example of how, like, I guess restricting environmental or it, restricting people's access to the land and um, creating situations where, or creating, like, environmental degradation. Yeah. Or, like, man-caused environmental degradation can perpetuate the, the refugee crisis. No, I agree. And I... It's very interesting to see various factors playing a role into this from, of course, conflict, persecution, natural disasters, and environmental factors. And it's also interesting to see how environmental factors might pay, play a more predominant role in the future. Mm -hmm. In terms of the displacement, um, there are both physical and mental health challenges that refugees commonly face. So now we're going to get more into the aspect of the refugee health and yeah. those kind of how they're affected by it. Obviously, refugees face a multitude, a range of physical and mental health challenges. Physical health challenges, Sonia kind of briefly mentioned this, but malnutrition, infectious diseases, lack of access to clean water, limited health care resources. As a result, they're at a risk of developing diseases such as diabetes, hypertension, and cardiovascular disease due to changes in lifestyle and diet. Also, considering how abrupt these changes might be to their What's that word? What am I trying to think? Your body? Yeah. Your, yeah, your system. Your, yeah, to your body. So just to kind of dive into a bit more of the physical uh, challenges that refugees might felt, like face, 
malnutrition being one of them, of course. Mm-hmm. So they're often experiencing malnutrition due to the access, lack of access to food, water, and other basic necessities. Obviously, this can lead to a range of health problems, including stunted growth, weakened immune systems, and increased susceptibility to infectious diseases. I mentioned this, so another uh, impact is also infectious diseases. So refugees are at an increased risk of contracting infectious diseases. <laughs> Bless you. You're good. So as I mentioned, infectious diseases, infectious diseases, refugees are at a risk of contracting these diseases because of overcrowding, poor sanitation, and limited access to healthcare. Of course, the lack of access to clean water and sanitation can lead to the spread of waterborne diseases such as cholera, cholera, yeah. and typhoid fever. The just to add on to that, I feel like even like within Gaza, for example, mm-hmm. and like the different areas around the the Middle East, like that's just a perfect example of how like issues surrounding refugee health can be magnified, especially during times of um, like war and. Uh, genocide and displacement and all those sort of um, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know what the right word is but challenges yes can that's probably like the the an understatement of what's going on but just how all these issues can be magnified especially during times of war which ultimately diminishes the health of you know those trying to flee these Mm -hmm. sort of situations I was going to say, it also leads to the next challenge of limited healthcare resources, yeah. right? Because these are magnified, uh-huh. it's depleting already what might be considered depleted resources, and that further limits the resources, which include medical supplies, equipment, personnel, yeah. right? And obviously, when you have limited healthcare resources, we've seen it in uh, low-income low income countries, high-income countries, we know when there's a limited resource of healthcare services or equipment or whatnot, it leads to inadequate treatment, injuries and illnesses, and as well as preventative care. And what's interesting, it's not just on the level of like the refugee camps that people are often placed in during their transition to whatever their new um, home will be, which can often be years uh, residing in these camps, but it's also when uh, these refugees eventually find home in like wherever let's say Canada yeah there's been a number of studies where um a couple things so first in regards to healthcare access like e- um a lot of my work focused on this before but um immigrants and um or newcomers and refugees as they are settling into their new home their ability to access healthcare services whether it be because of um, language barriers mm-hmm. or not knowing where to seek out these sources it's significantly diminished like even though within the area everyone has quote-unquote access to these resources like that it's just it's not true because there are these barriers Mm -hmm. that newcomers and immigrants and uh, refugees face and their ability to access these resources if that makes sense no i agree i was like there's a word for it like there may be access to the healthcare services but is there like their utilization yes of the utilization yeah. yeah that's what it is and i think that's where the discrepancy is mm-hmm. um you'll have there might be services in the community right but individuals like you said they might not know of it there might be language barriers the system is different from your home country of mm-hmm. how to go about it cost whatnot there's so many barriers to that when going to 
a host community or host country mm-hmm. for that. I had another comment. Oh my goodness. Um, what were you saying before? The it was not just about the access to these services. It was like healthcare, limited healthcare resources, um, or the utilization of such. Oh goodness, I forgot my point. Never mind. If it's important, it'll come back. No worries. Okay. Um. So we touched upon the physical health challenges. Do you want to kind of dive into potential mental health challenges? Obviously, we know when you're going from a sudden change, it definitely has an impact not only physically but mentally. Yeah. So. That's exactly it. Like the, there's so many, specifically from a mental health standpoint. This is an area that's often um, under researched and under promoted, specifically because of a, a, not just specifically, but because of a number of issues like stigma surrounding mm. mental health and maybe it not being as prioritized as addressing like urgent care needs. But I'd argue like even mental health can be considered an urgent care need, especially if you're experiencing a state of psychosis or anything like that. But displacement, as you kind of touched upon already, um, the, the rather the displacement experience that uh, refugees face can cause significant trauma and stress, leading to a range of mental health challenges, uh, such as post-traumatic stress disorder, commonly known as PTSD, uh, major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety, and panic attacks, which are all sort of comorbidities with each other. It's not like these happen in isolation, they Mm -hmm. can happen altogether. Um, And refugees may also experience feelings of isolation, loneliness, and hopelessness due to uh, the uncertainty of their situation and the loss of their homes and communities. And these situations, not to say it's magnified for certain groups, but I can only imagine that it would potentially be magnified for uh, those that are traveling with their families and trying to ensure the health of their, you know, their young ones and their kids and uh, the vulnerable populations that they may be uh, uh, experiencing displacement with. But it's also important to note that refugees often face additional barriers to accessing healthcare. So, uh, as we already talked about, but uh, because of these language barriers and cultural differences, um, institutional discrimination and restricted use of health services, health services, this could all magnify uh, the issues surrounding uh, you know mental health challenges that aren't just happening on an isolated basis, but uh, for chronically on a long-term basis. I was just going to jump in and kind of put into perspective of, like, in terms of numbers of mm-hmm. these mental health issues. So there's a meta-analysis of 193 studies that were conducted by the UNHCR, which found that 30% of refugees experience depression and anxiety, while up to 40% experience PTSD. But these rates actually might be underreported due mm-hmm. to the challenges that they face in accessing mental health services and resources. So this number is just what's been reported, but this could very much be underreported. And real quick, you mentioned the word meta-analyses. Do you want to maybe explain what that is? That's a great question. Or I can also comment yeah, on it too. How do I say, do I say <laughs> so, in a layman terms? I was like... <laughs> As a research methodologist, sometimes terms like systematic review, meta-analyses, whatever, they can be conflated as the same, but they're like different and important to distinguish. But basically, anytime you hear the word meta-analyses, it essentially, so within the health research methodology, me- methodology world and evidence-based medicine world, we have this hierarchy of evidence. At the bottom, the very bottom, you have anecdotal research, 
um, or not even research, like anecdotal commentary, and then it slowly moves up from doing observational studies to RCTs and um, sort of a consolidation of all the evidence that exists. So when you hear a meta-analysis being done, that essentially means that current evidence existing on the topic um, is consolidated. Researchers, you know, generate a research question and they uh, do a, a database literature search and they find all these articles that are talking about this specific topic and then they dissect it. They look at specific outcomes, they perform things called the risk of bias assessment where they see if the research being done is uh, has a certain level of error presented in it or a certain level of uncertainty which could minimize the results but overall when you see a meta-analysis being done that's indicative of a high level of evidence synthesis synthesis being done granted uh, meta-analyses can be improperly done and not robust and that could lead to inaccurate reporting of uh, findings and the synthesis of evidence but yeah, just to say that a meta-analysis is a synthesis of, of evidence and not to get too much into the details of it, but it's important that meta-analyses are done. So basically it's essentially a collection of all the current research studies or yeah. whatever is eligible mm -hmm. to be part of it and summarizing those findings based on their research question. That was a little segment on research methods. Perhaps can you talk about maybe the prevalence of different health challenges? Yeah, for sure. So, um... Refugees and migrants have... Oh, sorry, no, I remember what I was going to say before. Continue, though. Oh, I'll okay, say my so, point yes. after. Refugees and migrants have a variety of different physical and mental health needs uh, shaped by experiences in the country of origin, their migration journey, their host country's entry, integration policies, living and working conditions. What one refugee might be experiencing in one country is not the same as another individual. It is very individualized, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, according to the World Health Organization, the major causes are of morbidity and mortality among refugees or measles, diarrheal uh, mm -hmm. diseases. Like cholera? Yes. Um, acute respiratory infections, malaria, malnutrition. These diseases consistently account for between 60 and 80% of all reported causes of death. That's a lot. Yeah, par parasitic diseases are rampant in areas where sanitation is really, really poor. And that's often what you find in refugee camps or mm -hmm. in areas that don't have access to electricity and running water. And uh, I guess sanitation is already yeah. said. But yeah, that makes complete sense. Yeah, but it's also devastating because they're preventable diseases. For sure. And it's... It almost puts our, I don't know, my perspective on my life and what I'm fortunate for, mm -hmm. like, something as simple as running water and whatnot. So, okay. Um, just to continue with that. So, malnutrition is both the primary and secondary cause of death. I know I mentioned the diseases uh, as 60 to 80% of causes of death, but malnutrition is both the primary and secondary. The World Health Organization also reports that refugees and migrants often face worse health outcomes in countries of transit and destination due to barriers including language and cultural differences. So you mentioned this before and restricted use of health services. We also wanted to touch upon how social, political, and economic exclusion can result in poverty, homelessness, and exploitation, which can actually create a higher risk for diseases. 
Yeah, it stems back to some of the comments about, like, um, institutional racism and, or not even just in this podcast, but we've had before that spoke about how uh, institutional racism and discrimination and prejudice and all these sort of factors can compound to affect an individual's access to healthcare and their overall health. But, um, sorry, did you have more to say on that? No, no, no. Okay, sorry. I didn't know, okay, no, no, yeah, no, I'm yeah, sorry, yeah. I didn't know if I cut you no, off. Yeah. You were going to mention something earlier. Yeah, yeah, so the comment that I want to make before is, so going back to, um, how do I even frame this? So um, even when, so you, stopped, you spoke about that transition state mm-hmm. where refugees are in whatever, you know, wherever they are, they end up in this transition country mm-hmm. where they're waiting to see if they can go to, you know, wherever yeah. they actually want to end up, well, actually is a... Probably not the best turn, but the, dis, or I guess their new destination, their new home, if you like want a host to country. Like, yeah. yeah, host country. Perfect. Thank you. Even um, when refugees are able to make it to their host country and sort of acclimate into whatever setting that they're in, there's so many barriers, like we spoke about before, even beyond or because of the healthcare access, because of um, you know racial discrimination and. Uh, institutional racism and all these sort of stuff that affect their overall um, health outcomes and there's this phenomenon called the healthy immigrant effect it applies to uh, immigrants and newcomers and uh, refugees in different populations and it uh, shows that so oftentimes when people refugees uh, can be a little bit of an interesting situation but oftentimes when uh, people from different countries around the world they come to Canada and they uh, when they originally or when they initially come to Canada there are certain uh, anthropometric measures meaning I guess like biomarkers yeah. when they come to get Canada they're relatively good like their um, A1C levels like their blood sugar blood pressure obviously it can vary hypertension all these sort of things can vary but their overall measures are better compared to the average Canadian population. Oh, But it's okay. interesting, though. Again, refugees can be sort of, like, an interesting situation. Yeah. Like, different, like, cardiorespiratory health, like, certain things typically are better amongst these populations. Okay. But over time, uh, the research has shown that immigrants, refugees, and newcomers, their health status begins to deteriorate. Okay. And this is because going back to the issue of healthcare access, issues mm. navigating the new healthcare system, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. They're both mental health and physical health status. Yeah. Even though they're coming from these situations that are certainly unideal. Yeah. Like their health status begins to deteriorate. So not to say that they're coming in a, a great place to begin with. Yeah. But it becomes exacerbated because of different institutional issues that prevent people from accessing the healthcare that they need. I was gonna like, I'm <coughs> sorry, share a story of, so I used to go to this eyebrow lady and she was a Ukrainian refugee, mm-hmm. right? And I remember just going there and kind of, I was excited. I was like, okay, like even amongst our conversations, she was sharing how obviously there's family left behind, her and her husband was able to come here, whatnot, she was able to bring her a cat, et cetera, et cetera. But, it was very interesting for her to ask me questions that I thought I was like, oh, like, what do you mean? Like, how to go to a doctor? What do you mean? Like, how do I get medication for such? What do you mean? Like, applying to university and stuff like that, right? But I didn't realize that they don't really have some sort of means or like an individual to like go and ask. It's kind of like figure it out on your own. And 
there is also a struggle with that. Even if, even though she's been there for a couple of months, she was asking questions about like something as simple, like obviously in Canada, like what kind of boots to buy, like how cold does it get, and just something as basic as that to us that might come innately, intuitively to us might not be for someone that comes to a different country. And I'm thinking of my, like, obviously not in the perspective of a refugee or an immigrant at all, coming from a very privileged perspective of going to a different country in terms of exchange. I struggle with navigating that. It's not the same because in no means was I fleeing from anything. Um, but there's also there's always that barrier of overcoming and navigating new systems, especially since there's no such thing as universal healthcare. There's no mm-hmm. such thing as how to navigate um, XYZ. Yeah, and I guess the whole point of, thank you for sharing that, the whole point in sharing this, or the the sentiment about the healthy immigrant effect, it's essentially saying that it doesn't get easier. Like, even after, uh, like, you're able to flee these horrid situations, like, like you were saying, like, being able to find these resources just because you're in an environment that quote-unquote says that they offer free healthcare service and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It don't mean much. Yeah. Man, you can't, no, like, people coming into the country, like, going back to, you know, when I was, you know, working and doing recruitment and stuff like that with the the previous project that, that I was on. Like, there's so many people would be like, oh, like, how do I find a, a doctor? How yeah. do I find my own primary health care provider? There's nobody in Canada. Well, not that there's nobody, but there's so few people in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> it's horrible. Yeah. Even as an individual, like, Canadian-born, Canadian-raised, whatnot, to find a family doctor, like, just doctors, like, just... I guess this could be a whole different topic, yeah. but the healthcare system currently in place is already a struggle for me. Mm-hmm. Imagine for an individual that has language barriers, cultural differences, whatnot. Yeah, people that are fleeing these horrible situations that just want to find some yeah. sort of solace yeah. and support, and then you're like, uh, JK, we actually don't have that for you right now, yeah. but... Try again in, like, two years. Yeah, and it's like, okay, great. Maybe. Yeah. Um, but that's to say, like, of course the government does provide certain support in certain areas. I think it's also important to note the roles played by organizations like the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, the World Health Organization, and various non-governmental organizations in addressing the health needs of refugees. Of course, um, international organizations organizations i almost held french for a second there and ngos (laughs) uh play a crucial role in addressing these needs uh just give me an example of kind of what the different organizations do the unhcr is responsible for providing protection and assistance to refugees including access to healthcare services also feel free to jump in and add Mm -hmm. anything um the world health organization is responsible for providing technical assistance and guidance to countries on refugee health issues NGOs also play an important role in providing healthcare services to refugees, particularly in areas where the government services are inadequate or non-existent. Gotcha. From just to tie in everything that we've mentioned and mentioned today, it's clear that there's a lot of different stakeholders involved mm-hmm. in understanding refugee health, but also addressing um, its ramifications, not just from uh you know the level of different organizations and ngos but also on a governmental level Mm -hmm. uh societal level but then also from the perspective of you know host countries Mm -hmm. and host communities 
So just as a summary statement, it is important to recognize that refugee health or the refugee health crisis is a global issue, even though sometimes it feels like it's happening on sort of like a microcosm, it affects everybody. Um, and this issue uh, requires a coordinated response, like we were saying, from governments, international organizations, NGOs, and so on. Um, the, these efforts can help ensure that refugees have access to healthcare services they need and also have the right to access. Um, and that the host communities are not overwhelmed by the influx of refugees that are uh, coming and going and navigating the, the systems in their area. No, I completely agree. I think that was a really good way to end off this episode. Slay. Work together as much as it sounds. Kumbaya, my lord. Yeah. Kumbaya. That Why? sounds so like yeah. <laughs> just diminishing the entire issue. Just, oh, give someone a hug. No. This is why we can't be politicians. No, man. No. Anyways, well, thanks for joining today's episode. As always, it's a pleasure. See you next time. Big things are coming. Bye. I'm not going to ASMR into the mic. Okay.